Chapter Twenty Two of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter Twenty Two Helvoetslis. The weather in the end considerably worsened. The wind sang in the shrouds, the sea swelled higher, and the ship began to labor and cry out among the billows. The song of the leadsman at the chains was now scarce ceasing, for we thrid all the way among shoals. About nine in the morning, in a burst of wintry sun, between two squalls of hail, I had my first look of Holland. A line of windmills burling in the breeze. It was, besides, my first knowledge of these daft-like contrivances, which gave me a near sense of foreign travel in a new world in life. We came to an anchor about half-past eleven, outside the harbor of Helvoenslis, in a place where the sea sometimes broke and the ship pitched outrageously. You may be sure we were all on deck, save Mrs. Gibby, some of us in cloaks, others mantled in the ship's tarpaulins, all clinging on by ropes, and jesting the most like old sailor-folk that we could imitate. Presently a boat, that was backed like a pant crab, came gingerly alongside, and the skipper of it hailed our master in the Dutch. Thence Captain Sang turned, very troubled-like, to Katrina, and the rest of us crowding about, the nature of the difficulty was made plain to all. The Rose was bound to the port of Rotterdam, whither the other passengers were in a great impatience to a drive, in view of a conveyance due to leave them that very evening in the direction of the upper Germany. This, with the present half-gale of wind, the captain, if no time were lost, declared himself still capable to save. Now, James Moore had trysted in Helvoet with his daughter, and the captain had engaged to call before the port and place her, according to the custom, in a shore-boat. There was the boat, to be sure, and here was Katrina ready. But both our master and the patron of the boat scrupled at the risk, and the first was in no humor to delay. "'Your father,' said he, "'will be gay and little pleased if we are to break leg to ye, Miss Drummond. Lay be drowning of you. Take my way of it,' says he, and come on by with the rest of us here to Rotterdam. Ye can get a passage down to the maze and a sailing scoot as far as to the brill, and thence on again by a place in a rattle-wagon back to Helvoet. But Katrina would hear of no change. She looked white-like as she beheld the bursting of the sprays, the green seas that sometimes poured upon the forecastle and the perpetual pounding and swooping of the boat among the billows. But she stood firmly by her father's orders. My father, James Moore, will have arranged it so, was her first word and her last. I thought it very idle and indeed wanton in the girl to be so literal and stand opposite to so much kind advice. But the fact is she had a very good reason, if she would have told us. Sailing scoots and rattle-wagons are excellent things, only the use of them must first be paid for, and all she was possessed of in the world was just two shillings and a penny-halfpenny sterling. 
So it fell out that captain and passengers, not knowing of her destitution, and she, being too proud to tell them, spoke in vain. "'But you can a French and a Dutch neither,' said one. "'It is very true,' says she. "'But since the year forty-six there are so many of the honest Scotch abroad that I will be doing very well. I thank you.' There was a pretty country simplicity in this that made some laugh, and others looked the more sorry, and Mr. Geeby fall outright in a passion. I believe he knew it was his duty, his wife having accepted charge of the girl, to have gone ashore with her and seen her safe. Nothing would have induced him to have done so, since it must have involved the lose of his conveyance, and I think he made it up to his conscience by the loudness of his voice. At least he broke out upon Captain Sang, ragging and saying the thing was a disgrace, that it was mere death to try and leave the ship, and in any event we could not cast down an innocent maid in a boat full of nasty holland fishers, and leave her to her fate. I was thinking something of the same. Took the mate upon one side, arranged with him to send my chests by tracksgoot to an address I had in Leyden, and stood up and signaled to the fishers. I will go ashore with the young lady, Captain Sang, said I. It is all one what way I get to Leyden, and leaped at the same time into the boat, which I managed not so elegantly, but what I fell with two of the fishers in the bilge. From the boat the business appeared yet more precarious than from the ship. She stood so high over us, swinging down so swift, and menaced us so perpetually with her plunging and passaging upon the anchor cable. I began to think I had made a fool's bargain, that it was merely impossible Katrina could be got on board to me, and that I stood here to be set ashore and held it all by myself, and with no hope of any reward but the pleasure of embracing James Moore, if I should want to. But this was to reckon without the lass's courage. She had seen me leap with very little appearance, however much reality, of hesitation, to be sure, she was not to be beat by her discarded friend. Up she stood on the bulwarks, and held by a stay, the wind blowing in her petticoats, which made the enterprise more dangerous, and gave us rather more of a view of her stockings than would be thought genteel in cities. There was no minute lost, and scarce time given for any to interfere, if they had wished the same. I stood upon the other side and spread my arms, the ship swung down on us, the patroon humoured his boat nearer than it was perhaps wholly safe, and Katrina leaped into the air. I was so happy as to catch her, and the fishers readily supporting us escaped a fall. She held on to me a moment very tight, breathing quick and deep. Thence she was still clinging to me with both hands. We were passed aft to our places by the steersman and Captain Sang and all the crew and passengers, cheering and crying farewell, the boat was put about for shore. As soon as Katrina came a little to herself, she unhanded me suddenly, but said no word. No more did I, and indeed the whistling of the wind and the breaching of the sprays made it no time for speech, and our crew not only toiled excessively, but made extremely little way, 
so that the Rose had got her anchor and was off again before we had approached the harbor mouth. We were no sooner in smooth water than the patroon, according to their beastly Holland's custom, stopped his boat and required of us our fares. Two guilders was the man's demand, between three and four shillings English money, for each passenger. But at this Katrina began to cry out with a vast deal of agitation. She had asked of Captain Sang, she said, and the fare was but an English shilling. "'Do you think I will have come on board and not asked first? cries she. The patroons scolded back upon her in a lingo where the oaths were English and the rest right Hollands, till at last, seeing her near tears, I privately slipped the rogue's hand six shillings, whereupon he was obliged enough to receive from her the other shilling without more complaint. No doubt I was a good deal nettled and ashamed. I liked to see folk thrifty, but not with so much passion, and I dare say it would be rather coldly that I asked her, as the boat moved on again for shore, where it was that she was trysted with her father. He used to be inquired of at the house of one Sprott, an honest Scotch merchant, says she, and then, with the same breath, I am wishing to thank you very much. You are a brave friend to me. It will be time enough when I get you to your father, said I, little thinking that I spoke so true. I can tell him a fine tale of a loyal daughter. Oh, I do not think I will be a loyal girl at all events, she cried, with a great deal of painfulness in the expression. I do not think my heart is true. Yet there are very few that would have made that leap, and all to obey a father's orders, I observed. I cannot have you to be thinking of me so, she cried again. When you had done the same, how would I stop behind? And in all events, that was not all the reasons. Whereupon, with a burning face, she told me the plain truth upon her poverty. Good guide us, cried I. What kind of draft-like proceeding is this, to let yourself be launched on the continent of Europe with an empty purse? I count it hardly decent. Scant decent, I cried. You forget James Moore, my father, is a poor gentleman, said she. He is a hunted exile. But I think not all your friends are hunted exiles, I exclaimed. And was this fair to them that care for you? Was it fair to me? Was it fair to Miss Grant that counseled you to go? And would be driven fair horn mad if she could hear of it? Was it even fair to these Gregory folk that you were living with and used you lovingly? It's a blessing you have fallen in my hands. Suppose your father hindered by an accident. What would become of you here? And you and your lone in a strange place? The thought of the thing frightens me, I said. I will have lied to all of them, she replied. I will have told them all that I had plenty. I told her, too. I could not be loaning James Moore to them. I found out later that she must have lured him in the very dust, for the lie was originally the father's, not the daughter's, and she thus obliged to preserve in it for the man's reputation. 
but at the time I was ignorant of this, and the mere thought of her destitution, and the perils which she must have fallen, had ruffled me almost beyond reason. Well, 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 said I, you will have to learn more sense. I left her mails for the moment in an inn upon the shore, where I got directions for Sprott's house in my new French, and we walked there, it was some little way, beholding the place with wonder as we went. Indeed, there was much for Scots folk to admire, canals and trees being intermingled with the houses, the houses, each within itself, of a brave red brick, the color of a rose, with steps and benches of blue marble at the cheek of every door, and the whole town so clean you might have dined upon the causeway. Sprott was within, upon his ledgers, in a low parlor very neat and clean, and set out with china and pictures, and a globe of the earth in a brass frame. He was a big, chafted, ruddy, lusty man, with a crooked hard look to him, and he made us not that much civility as to offer a seat. "'Is James Moore McGregor now in Helvet, sir?' says I. "'I can nobody by such name,' says he, impatient-like. "'Since you are so particular,' says I, "'I will amend my question, and ask you where we are to find in Helwit "'one James Drummond, alias McGregor, alias James Moore, "'late-tenant of Ivernkelly.' "'Sir,' says he, "'he may be in hell for what I can, "'and for my part I wish he was.' The young lady is that gentleman's daughter, sir, I said, before whom I think you will agree with me it is not very becoming to discuss his character. I have nothing to make either with him, or her, or you, cries he in his gross voice. Under your favor, Mr. Sprott, said I, this young lady has come from Scotland seeking him, and by whatever mistake was given the name of your house for a direction. An error it seems to have been, but I think this place both you and me, who am but her fellow-traveller by accident, under a strong obligation to help our countrywoman. "'Will you ding me daft?' he cries. "'I tell you I can nothing, and care less either for him or his breed. I tell you the man owes me money.' "'That may very well be, sir,' said I, who was now rather more angry than himself. "'At least I owe you nothing. The young lady is under my protection, and I am neither at all used with these manners, nor in the least content with them.' As I said this, and without particularly thinking what I did, I drew a step or two nearer to his table, thus striking by mere good fortune on the only argument that could at all affect the man. The blood left his lusty countenance. Uh, uh, for the Lord's sake, dinner be hasty, sir, he cried. I am truly wishful no to be offensive, uh, but ye can, sir. Uh, I'm like a wind, good-natured, honest, canty old fellows. Uh, my bark is worse now than my bite. To hear me, ye missed wild's fancy I was a wee thing dour, but na na, 
It's a kind old fellow at heart, Sandy Sprott, and ye could never imagine the fake and fash uh, this man has been to me. Very good, sir, said I. Then I will make that much freedom with your kindness as to trouble you for your last news of Mr. Drummond. Yar, welcome, sir, said he. As for the young lady, my respects to her, he'll just have clean forgotten her. I ken the man, you see, I have lost silver by him ere now. He thinks of nobody but just himself, clan, king, or daughter. If he can get his wimful, he would give him uh, the good-bye, I, or his correspondent either. For there's a sense in Wilk I may be nearly almost said to be his correspondent. The act is, we are employed together in a business affair, and <laughs> I think it's like to turn out a dear affair for Sandy Sprott. The man's as good as my partner, and I give ye my word I can nothing by where he is. He might be coming here to Hillwit, he might be coming here to Marne, he might not come for a twelve month. I would wonder at nothing, or just at the eighth thing, and that's if he was to pay me my siller. You see what way I stand with it, and it's clear I'm no very likely to meddle up with the young lady as ye can her. She can stop here as anything for sure. Do it, sir, I'm a lone man, and if I was to take her in, it's highly possible the helicat would try and gar me marry her when he turned up. Enough of this talk, said I. I will take the young lady among better friends. Give me pen, ink, and paper, and I will leave here for James Moore the address of my correspondent in Leyden. He can inquire from me where he is to seek his daughter. This word I wrote and sealed, which while I was doing, Sprott of his own motion made a welcome offer, to charge himself with Miss Drummond's mails, and even send a porter for them to the inn. I advanced him to that effect a dollar or two to be a cover, and he gave me an acknowledgment in writing of the sum. Whereupon, I giving my arm to Katrina, we left the house of this impalatable rascal. She had said no word throughout, leaving me to judge and speak in her place. I, upon my side, had been careful not to embarrass her by a glance, and even now, although my heart still glowed inside of me with shame and anger, I made it my affair to seem quite easy. Now, said I, let us go back to yon same inn where they can speak the French, have a piece of dinner, and inquire for conveyances to Rotterdam. I will never be easy till I have you safe again in the hands of Mrs. Geeby. I suppose it will have to be, said Katrina, though whoever will be pleased, I do not think it will be her, and I will remind you this once again that I have but one shilling and three bobbies. And just this once again, said I, I will remind you it was a blessing that I came alongst with you. "'What else would I be thinking all this time?' says she, and I thought weighed a little on my arm. "'It is you that are the good friend to me.'" End of chapter 22